Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our reading today comes from Philippians, chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. And you may locate this text in your pew Bible on page 1071. First, let us prepare our hearts to hear God's word. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Well, this was the day they had waited for. Jesus rides into Jerusalem. It is the day they had talked about around dinner tables and night fires. Surely there would be a day... Surely there would be a day when their leader would care more about them than about being a leader. You have that dream. We all have that dream, unless you've given up on it, that someday a leader would place your needs above the leader's needs. You know what it is like to yearn for a time when the way of the world will be shaped less by ideologies and more by the actual circumstances of people's lives. Jesus rides into Jerusalem, and that dream was coming true. So they sang, and they ripped palm branches from trees. They created a green carpet for the long-awaited one. They lifted their small children on their shoulders, and they shouted, Hosanna. And, And by all accounts, by all accounts, what they noticed most about him was his humility. I find that amazing. Humility is hard to pull off any time, but particularly when you're the reason for a parade. And yet, by every account, they saw in him a spirit of humility. For several weeks now, we've been talking about character and I conclude with this because I, I wonder if humility is the basis for all aspects of character. Now, humility is not really in vogue, and I understand that. It's hard. 
Carolyn and I, Carolyn and I, decades ago, we went to Ghana, West Africa. We were there to be with the church there. Presbyterians began their mission in Ghana over 175 years ago. We have schools and hospitals and lots of churches there. And Carol and I were in this distant village. And before I knew what was happening, the elders of the church got together and they decided that while we were there, they were going to make me chief of the youth. Now, in Ghana, the youth are anybody who's not on session, so their grandparents could be in the youth. And, and so being made or installed or whatever it is, chief of the youth, is quite a production. They brought out the chief's chair, and they had a robe that I had to wear, and there were necklaces and bracelets. They did a poof of baby powder in my face. The, the women were singing, and the men were dancing. There were words spoken that I didn't understand, and by the time it was all over, I was chief of the youth. And I thought we were just doing a little fun thing in the church. But when I walked outside into the village, women started singing and, and men would bow down to me and some would sweep the road in front of me. And I thought, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and I also thought, I could get used to this. <laughs> But what I don't remember at all is I don't remember anybody coming to me in that moment and saying, you know what strikes me most about you right now is that spirit of humility that you're embodying. <laughs> By every account, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, what they noticed about him was his humility. David Brooks tells of a time he was in the car and on the radio he was listening to a rebroadcast of an old program called Command Performance. And the episode that he was listening to, um, well, it, well, first of all, it's a program that went out to U.S. troops during World War II. And the episode that he listened to was first played on the day that the war came to an end, the war in Japan came to an end. And what Brooks said he noticed was the tone of humility in the broadcast on this triumphant day. Actor Burgess Meredith read a passage written by war correspondent Ernie Pyle. Pyle had written, We won this war because our men are brave and because of many other things. We did not win because destiny created us better than all other people. I hope that in victory, we are more grateful than proud. Brooks said he turned off the car and walked into his house, and an NFL football game was on, and, and there was a short pass to a wide receiver who got about two yards and then was tackled. And when the play ended, he said the defensive back leapt up to his feet and started beating his chest and screaming into the air and strutting around. And Brooks said, I realized that I watched more self-celebration after a two-yard gain than I had heard after the United States won World War II. Now, there were celebrations after World War II. There were parades, but I take his point. We live in a day of self-celebration. Humility is a rare thing, and it's a difficult thing. 
And I've talked about humility before, and, and one of the things I've learned recently is I think I've been looking at it wrong. I think I've been looking at it backwards, actually. For the longest time, I assumed that people were, that were humble were people who didn't think too much of themselves. They didn't think much of themselves. John Meacham, in his biography of George H.W. Bush, said that when Bush was running for the Senate, when he was running for the Senate in Texas, he would sometimes get a phone call from his mother who had heard a campaign ad, and she would call him and she'd say, George, stop it. You're always saying, I, 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 just stop it. He's running for the Senate. I wish his mother could call some other people today, I do. <laughs> I have assumed that that's a picture of humility. People who don't call attention to themselves, people who don't think too highly of themselves. But I think that actually misses the point. I don't think humility results from thinking less of yourself. I don't think humility results from thinking about yourself at all. I think humility is the fruit that results not when we think less of ourselves, but when we think highly of others. I think humility is the result when we see the good and the honorable and the beautiful in another. Humility is the logical consequence of loving others of valuing others. That's why Jesus rides into this city. That's why he rides into Jerusalem. It, it's not that he was thinking less of himself. He, he wasn't like, oh, shucks, forget it. Put the palms down. Stop the singing. It's just oh, little old me. That wasn't his attitude. He wasn't thinking about himself at all. He was thinking about them. He was seeing the beautiful in them, the value in them. That's what they sensed in him. That's what humility looks like. He's thinking about them, and it's his love for them that brings him to the city. And there's nothing that will keep him away. Even if it cost him, and it does cost him, it will cost him everything. But there is no power that can keep him away because he sees the value in them, the beautiful in them. He loves the city. I think, I think seeing the value in others is the incubator for a life of character. All the virtues, honesty, compassion, fairness, sharing, all the virtues grow from the soil of seeing the value in others. So if that's true, then it's a little shocking when we hear these words from the Apostle Paul that Scott read for us. Paul begins by listing a life of character. If there's anything pure and commendable, if there's anything worthy of praise, if there's any excellence, think about these things, he says. But then, he says, keep on doing the things you have seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Really? 
Keep on doing the things you've seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Sounds like the apostle needs a phone call from George Bush's mother. Is he arrogant here? Maybe. I don't think he's hesitant to talk about himself. But we need to hear these words in the context of his culture and not ours. And there was something in the air in the days of Paul that was affirmed and valued that is less so in our own time. In Paul's day, it was just assumed that if you wanted to be a grown-up, if you wanted to live a life of character, you needed examples of it in your life. Teachers were understood to be this way, not just sharing information, but embodying the virtues of which they spoke. That's what Paul says. Think about these virtues, but then, then live what you have seen in me. I think Paul gives us an important teaching. If we want to live lives of character, we need exemplars. We need people that we can see character in their lives. Because character can't simply be in the world of ideas. No, we have to see it lived out. We need models. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he comes not only as our Savior, as one who can do for us what no one else can do, he also comes as our example, as one who shows us who we all should be. And I've had examples like that in my life. Now, No one is an example of all of Christian living. No one is. But we don't need that. We don't need the perfect exemplars. We just need to be able to see the good in others and to be instructed by their goodness. I was getting my my hair cut Obviously not recently, my wife would say. And, and the fellow who was cutting it, we, he got finished, and he said, he said, I forget, you, you part it on the right, correct? I smiled. I said, yeah, I, I, I part my hair on the right. I have all my life. Uh, there, was a, there was a sad two-month period in the middle 70s where I tried that Jackson Brown, David Cassidy parted in the middle thing, but it just didn't work for me. No, I parted on the right, and I have at least since I was six years old. I know that because that was when I would watch my dad, and he, with a little help from Vitalis, would part his hair on the right. So I did too. And on Sundays, my mom would let me borrow a little of his Vitalis. I did that because I thought then, and I think now, he is a great man, and I wanted to be a little bit like him. I bet you have people in your life like that. People that you think in some fashion or another are great people and they make you want to be a little bit like them. One such person was my friend David. David was in my church in Jacksonville. David was a one-shingle attorney. His wife, Winky, that was her name, I'm not making that up, 
Winky was a great football fan, and David was a great cook. So when the Sunday school class met at their home for cookouts, Winky would be out by the barbecue in the backyard with the guys debating the benefits of zone defense, and David would be in the kitchen swapping recipes for lemon meringue pie. David never held a leadership position of any kind that I know of. He never served on a board. He never joined a club. His resume could probably fit on one of those little post-it notes. He was no mover and shaker. I asked him once to serve on a church committee. He said, oh, you've got people who are better at that than I am. But if you ever ran into David, if you ever asked him how he was, his response was always, I'm better now that I've seen you. If you bump into him in Friendship Hall, he, he would say, sit down. You got a minute? Just tell me. Just catch me up. I just want to know everything. Just tell me everything. How you doing? Well, he called me. He'd gone to the doctor. He had a little cough. He'd gone to the doctor. The doctor sent him straight to the hospital. Within a week, he had died. We held his service at the church. And this guy wasn't a leader. But we couldn't get everybody in the building. The pews were full. People stood in the aisles. They stood in the narthex. And then there were probably a hundred more that stood outside the church in the Florida heat. And the reason we all had to be there is because we believed him when he said, I'm better now that I've seen you. He went through his life seeing the value in others. It's what humility looks like. And man, I wanted to be a little bit like him. Jesus came as our example, but we also need to see a little of Jesus in one another. Now, no one's going to get that perfectly, but there are those who get it right enough that they can be our teachers now and then. And this congregation is filled with them. I think about David Lillard and the rest of you who spend every Tuesday and Thursday swinging hammers with Habitat because you think even those who's, who the economy has passed by deserve a place to call home. I think of Edie Holtman and the rest of you on Tuesdays who spend your mornings around sewing machines so that little ones and cold ones and forgotten ones in our city can have a little gift when they need it most. They're seeing the value in others. I think of Phil and Jeannie Hendrickson who more than anything want there to be a Presbyterian witness at Antioch and they've sacrificed so much so that it would be a reality. Think of Ann Gall and Mark Benavia, who almost every week, with a whole team of others of you, who show up as part of our memorial guild to make sure that those, when their hearts are broken and they are at their tenderest place, know they belong and they're welcomed and they will be loved here. I think of Andrea Chamblin, who goes to Kenya and goes to the Mexican border because she knows that there are people all around our world who are absolutely convinced that nobody knows they're there. And she goes to tell them a different story. I remember Helen Hogan, who would just light up 
every time she walked in here because it didn't matter who she would see here like my friend David she convinced us she was better if she got to see us I think of Tessa Young who was commended to glory yesterday she spent most of her life in the shadows serving supporting encouraging and raising children to love the church she was an example of humility of seeing the value in others I think of these people and they make me want to be a little bit like them do you know what I mean I think the thing Paul was trying to teach us is if there's anything worthy of praise, if there's any excellence, think about that, but don't just think about it. Look for it. Look for those who will show you what it looks like in flesh. Jesus was certainly that, but there are parts of Jesus that show up in people all around us. Look for that. And humility will be one thing that results. But the other fruit that is born of that is peace. If you value others, the peace of God will be with you. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.